Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. For the sake of the world, you guys have almost made it through. You're almost there. There's one more week of for the sake of the world. You made it. You guys have been amazing. We've learned all kinds of new things, and some of these things may have been refreshers for some of you, but we've been on this journey of what it means to carry the good news to those around us. And so this morning, I wanted to start with the scripture verse that all of this is shaped around, which we haven't read until this morning. And we've done that intentionally um, because sometimes this verse is taken way out of context. It's used to, to guilt parishioners or congregants into sharing the gospel with other people, and that's just not what we're about here. However, I want to let the scripture speak for itself. Now that all the journey that has gone before us and for the sake of the world uh, series, I'd just like to read the scripture and I'd like to read it a little bit slowly so that we can hear Jesus' words in it. Does that sound good? Okay. Matthew 28, uh, starting in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age." Jesus, thank you so much for your words to us. I pray just in this moment uh, of reflection where we'll be still and silent before you that you would speak to each and every one. I could say a ton of things this morning, but your voice is the voice who changes us. Come breathe life on your words. Speak to your people. You are so faithful, Jesus. We love you. We love your presence. Let's just be still for a moment and invite the Lord to speak. Breathe on that verse for us, Lord. Jesus, it is so good to be loved by you. I pray that you would put power on your word. I pray throughout the course of this morning that you'd be wooing and drawing people back to yourself. You'd be saying to sons and daughters, come back home. As Ben spoke this morning in communion, let us be aware of the King's presence in our midst. Pray that you would um, use my words to encourage and to uplift and to draw some back home, to, to draw some for the first time into connection with you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
Amen. Well, Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. And the Hebrew word uh, for, that, uh, for that word taste is spoon. Just kidding, it's not spoon. <laughs> it's really just not. But we are called to be those who are spoons for the kingdom of God. Think about if you go to, who's, who's Honey Hut and who's Mitchell's? Let's hear it for Honey Hut. Who's Honey Hut? Okay, who, who's Mitchell's? Okay, wow, Mitchell's. Wow, overwhelming. And you know how when you go to Mitchell's in Ohio City or in Strongsville, wherever you go, you go through the line and you... Um, and you say, yeah, I'd like to taste some of that right there, and I'll, and I'll taste that cookies and cream. And they, they scoop it out with a little spoon, and they give you the little taster spoon. And that's who we are as followers of Jesus. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to be that spoon for other people who need to taste God's goodness. And I wanted to, sh- uh, to start this morning by sharing a little bit of my story with you. Some of you have heard my story before, but I'd like to share a little piece of my story this morning about how I fell in love with Jesus. And I'd like for you to notice where the work of the Spirit was just so tied to discipleship in my life. And you can think of your own story as well about how you came to fall in love with Jesus. But this great commission that we just read, these passages, these scriptures, have so much more to do with discipleship than they do with evangelism. And a lot of us have have thought that over the course of this series that this series is about evangelism. I guess you could call it that, but it's more about discipleship. And the difference between those two couldn't be more stark. So I'd like to share a little bit of my story with you about how I fell in love with Jesus and and you connect the dots and see how discipleship works through the power of the Holy Spirit and bringing people to life. And apply your own story to that. I was around 19 or 20 and I was just burnt out on life. I tried to find fulfillment and uh, in new highs and drugs. I was... I, was, I couldn't put two thoughts together. I was basically living in a crack house. All of my friends were only my friends because of my charismatic, because of my charismatic personality. I would, hey, I would get all my drugs for free. And it all came to a head one night when I had a really just terrible experience, but it was glorious at the same time. That night... I met the living God in the person of Jesus. Jesus so loved me that he arrested me in this night of terror in my head where I thought I was going to die, literally pinned me to the floor in a wrestling match of sorts. And he said to me, Evan... I'm going to reveal to you what your life would look like without my hand of mercy upon it. And I don't know how long I was there on the bathroom floor. For a split second or for hours until my friend 
slapped me and I came to. But I felt as though God had lifted his hand of mercy from my life. And you guys, it was literally hell. It was like, I compare it to the loudest, most obnoxious hip-hop sample that continued forever and ever and ever and wouldn't stop. And then Jesus laid a choice before me. He said, Eben, you need to choose today. You need to choose whether you will continue to destroy yourself or choose life. And in that moment, I said, Jesus, if this is life without you, I don't want to destroy myself any longer. I choose you. Well, the next morning, I woke up and through clouds and haze in my head, I thought about what the night before had meant to me. And that night before I went to bed, I said, God, I can't put two thoughts together in my head. If you're real, I need you to show yourself to me that you're real. I said, Jesus, if you're real, you need to make the voices in my head quiet. It was like static in my head. I can't describe to you the noise that was going on in my life, in my heart, in my head. I was just broken down. I was just on my last... I can't explain to you how truly broken and disconnected from life I was. I was a shell of a person walking around. The next morning was Thanksgiving Day. And I woke up Thanksgiving Day feeling all of the cloud lifted. God had answered my prayer. It was like a huge weight had been lifted from my shoulders. I could finally put cohesive thoughts together. I said, that's strange. I wasn't able to think those things last night. That must have worked. I gave my life to Jesus. And I thought because I needed to give my, because I gave my life to Jesus, I needed to go to church somewhere. And all I knew is that I didn't want to go back to the church that I grew up in. That was no good for me, and partly the reason why I descended into the life that I did. And I thought to myself, you know, Vineyard has a good reputation in the city for welcoming people like me. I think I'll try that out. And so I went through the doors at Vineyard Columbus the next Sunday, and I heard the gospel preached. I don't remember what scripture he was preaching from. I just knew that something was different about that place. And when he said, come forward, I did. I came forward and formally received Jesus into my life. But that's not where the story ended. The story just began for me there. You see, through the course of the next months and years, I was waiting tables, uh, serving people dinner at a microbrewery, and I was playing my songs and dive bars at open mics. And at the restaurant I worked at, in strolled this young woman named Sarah. And Sarah came to work at the microbrewery that I was waiting tables at. And Sarah happened to be a musician as well. We even found out that we went to the same church together and we didn't know. You go to Vineyard? Yeah. You go to Vineyard? Yeah, I go to Vineyard. 
So she invited me to this young adult service. It was called Joshua House at the time, and we began to uh, be in each other's lives. But Sarah was not missionary dating, you see. So I was playing these open mic dive bars, and Sarah, this young woman, would invite all of her friends to come and see me play my amazing songs. I had written these songs from a deep place. These were revolutionary lyrics that if only the masses could hear these songs that I had penned, the world would be a different place. And Sarah, you know, brought her friends to see me play these amazing songs. And I thought, yeah, of course, they're awesome songs. Why wouldn't more people want to hear them? But that's not the reason why Sarah was bringing her friends to see me play music. It was in that time that I met a couple of guys. And later to find out, Sarah had set the whole thing up. She had gone to the guys in her small group and, he, and she said, there's this guy, I work with him. He's a little rough around the edges, <laughs> to say the least. But there's just so much light in him. There's so much potential in him. Jesus just shines on him for some reason. And I met these two guys named Jim and Dan. And throughout the course of the next months and years, this guy Jim, Jim Zartman, invited me over to his, his parents' house. We were 20 at the time. We still lived at home, all of us. And he, would, he said, yeah, why don't you come over and play me some of your, your amazing songs <laughs> that you wrote. And invitation after invitation came to Jim's house. And we go in the basement and we just record songs. He just hit re- record and we play songs. I play my songs for him. But you know what happened in those times? He would ask me questions about my life. He would share with me how much worshiping Jesus meant to him. Discipleship was happening there. And my friend Dan would invite me time after time to go out for wings or to to go out for pizza or to go out for coffee. And it wasn't coffee, pizza, and wings. What it was was Dan asking me tough questions about my faith, my journey with God, where I was at with the Lord. I was learning from Dan. I was coming alive. Sarah invited me to small group where all of these people hung out and worshiped Jesus every week. We had great snacks at the place. I learned in those environments what it meant to follow Jesus. I learned in those environments what it meant to freely give my heart in worship. I learned in those environments what it meant to open the Bible and read the Bible every day. I learned in those environments what it meant to receive prayer from somebody who loved me and to pray for other people. Those environments shifted the trajectory of my life. Those places changed the course of my life. You see, I came to Christ alone in my room. I responded to the call of Christ in a big old church, but I walked with Christ in relationship with friends. In the context of small group, I learned what it meant to follow Jesus. 
authentically. And wouldn't you know it, 20 odd years later, I haven't moved on from that place. I just keep on coming back. I keep on coming back to the thing, to the person who saved my life. Well, this is how you connect with God. Why leave that place? The founder of the vineyard, John Wimber, used to say, uh, in the kingdom, we always take the posture of a beginner. I learned what it meant to follow Jesus. And you might be applying your own story of how you fell in love with Jesus to, to mine. This morning, I want to encourage all of us to just take one. Just take one along in your journey of following Jesus. You never know what could happen if you just take one. You just take one person along with you. You and I don't know what's in that seed. Jim and Dan had no idea that one day Jesus would call me to pastor a church. The people who discipled me didn't know what would come from that seed. They just chose to be faithful and encourage me to follow and notice the work of God in my life. They just took one person along in their journey of following Jesus. Those uh, folks in my life, they weren't concerned with like convincing me or converting me. They simply noticed the work of God and encouraged me to lean into it. Although, I do remember this young woman, Sarah, and I having a heated argument in the aisles of Target about the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. I said, no way, that stuff doesn't happen today. And you know what Sarah did? She argued back with me and said, yes, they are. No, she would never do that, would she? She just said, okay, all right. In her head, she was probably thinking, get him, God. And you know what happened? Because Sarah didn't choose to argue with me. She left me in the hands of God. And guess what happened? God got me. He got a hold of me. And he got a hold of you too. And it wasn't through people trying to argue you into the kingdom. It was because one person took the time to just take you along in their journey. Just take one. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but it's God who has been making it grow. Each of us, if you claim Christ, each of us has a role to play in others' discipleship journey. We don't get to choose when or how or even why, but this much is true. You have a role to play, and we must play it. We must play that role in this discipleship journey. So the challenge I'd like to place before us today is this. Who are we taking along in our journey? Who are you taking along in your journey? Do you have someone in your life that you get to pour into to notice and encourage the work of Jesus in their life? Someone you can pray for. Someone you can encourage to lean in to following Jesus. Over the course of the next year, I want to personally challenge you as I challenge myself to make 
disciples for Christ. You know, a couple weeks ago, I stood up here before you and I said just the, the bottom line truth of who we are as a church. I said we are an evangelical church firmly planted in Orthodox Christianity. And one of my friends came up to me after the service and she said, you know, that term evangelical is pretty loaded these days. I said, you're right, it really is. Discipleship. We are disciples of Jesus. We are apprentices of Jesus. And we're called to, as disciples, make other disciples. Jesus said to a bunch of fishermen, Come, follow me, Jesus said. I will send you out to fish for people. What Jesus was saying in this little phrase is huge because he's saying a number of things, three to be specific. And he's speaking to us this morning, Vineyard Cleveland, if we're to become a disciple-making church, we will follow Jesus into his words of one, following him, two, being changed by him, and three, to partner with him on mission. I came to know Jesus not through a church service or an altar call per se. I came to know Jesus because a couple of people that were already following Jesus, being changed by him and on mission with him, made space, created room for me and invited me to join them in that journey. That's all they did. I didn't go to a million equipping classes of what it meant to follow Jesus. I didn't, I didn't study the Bible in some theological seminary. I didn't do that. All of that stuff is great. All I did was respond to the invitation of a couple of dudes who were loving on a guy who just came to follow Jesus. That's it. That's all, that's all that happened. So I want to encourage all of us this morning that if we're to become the type of church who makes other disciples, who's bringing life to our city, we'd be wise to follow Jesus into this. We will live our values and our vision when we become a disciple-making church. Let, let me, we've been planting seeds over the past couple of months through the course of this series because we recognize that we don't yet have a disciple-making culture in our church. So we get to be in on the ground floor of that. You guys are awesome. We don't yet have that. So we need to work that. We need to knead that into the culture of the place because how many of you know, it, this is a bold statement that I'm about to make, but if a church is not committed to making other disciples, it's not really a church of Jesus. It's just a group of people hanging out. And that is not what I signed up for. And that's not what you signed up for either. To remind you, what we believe matters. What you believe and how you act on those beliefs truly matters. Eternally, in fact. John Mark Comer, uh, author, 
wrote this. He said, we become what we believe, for better or for worse. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he wrote this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most, the most important thing about us. What we believe matters. And what they're saying essentially is a reiteration of Matthew 7 when Jesus talks about building your house on a firm foundation. What John Mark Comer and A.W. Tozer and what uh, folks have said through the ages on this topic is simply reiterating what Jesus says about building our house on a firm foundation that when the storms of life come, when the storms of life are beating down upon you, it's going to matter what you believe and how you act upon what you believe. Nothing else matters when you get there, you see. So this is just Matthew 7 all over again. It's about your belief and your practice. It's orthodoxy and orthopraxy. And this is important. Why? Why is it important that both are happening at the same time, that both matter, both belief and action? Because the American church, and I love her, she's Jesus' bride. I'm part of her. I'm part of the bride. And the American church does not suffer for lack of information about her lover. However, she does suffer from lack of application of love toward her lover. If we say, let's put it this way, if all I do I've been married to Sarah for 20 years this past July. <laughs> Thank you for putting up with me. Okay. Yeah, that deserves a clap. 20? Sure. I've been mar- Sarah and I have been married for 20 years. If I all through the day say, if, if I say nothing but I love you, 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 But when she asks me to take out the trash, or me, I don't even anticipate, I anticipate her asking me to take out the trash, and I don't do that, does saying I love her mean anything to her? You see where I'm driving at? Likewise, the opposite is true. If all I did, if we came to the end of our lives, and Sarah is laying on her deathbed, and I never once said the thing. Some of you guys need to say the thing to your wives. Side side note. Say the thing. People need to hear, not just be shown, but people need to hear that they are loved. They need to hear you verbalize, to actually vocalize those words. I love you. The same is true in following Jesus. We need to say and we need to demonstrate our orthodoxy, how we think, and our orthopraxy, what we do, both are important and matter before God. Okay, so three pillars quickly of what Jesus is building in our house at Vineyard Cleveland. 
this, this body, this, this group of people, this family, if we're hearing right from Jesus and he's leading us into becoming a more effective disciple-making church, here are three things that I'd just like to throw out as suggestions. One, we believe that the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. Jesus says in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The good news this morning, just like in Jesus' day, the good news is that the good news is practical, not ethereal. The good news is practical and it changes everything about us. Christ comes to a man or a woman and sweeps the house clean, as an old Dutch theologian put it. There's no compartments. It's the whole life he sweeps free. And so coming to Christ means that everything changes about you. He puts us in a new kingdom. He places us in a new family. You're no longer who you used to be if you claim Christ. You, you are now adopted. You, you now belong to Jesus. You are his. You are a son. You are a daughter. The old has gone. The new has come. And that's life and life to the full. You no longer belong to the camp of the enemy. Now you belong to the kingdom of light. That's the gospel that you might have life and life to the full. The gospel isn't something that you believe just once when you first come to Christ. It affects everything in your life. It's the whole story of everything Jesus has done. The gospel changes everything. The gospel changed everything about me. Everything. It, set, it was like I was going one way. And then I met Jesus and I started going the other way. The vision that I had for my life all the way up until that point was all of a sudden not important anymore. Now we're going this way. The gospel changes everything. We believe that. That makes a difference for those in your life, your family, your coworkers, uh, people at your school. It makes all of the difference that you believe that the gospel changes everything. Second, the gospel changes everything. We believe discipleship is a process. For some people, the gospel is like a TNT explosive nuclear bomb. Just goes off in their life and everything's different. For others of us, the majority of us, it's more like a sunrise. The gospel working, Jesus working himself into our lives is a slow process. Why? Because we're jacked up. <laughs> it's going to take our whole lives. No one's arrived. We're all in process. Discipleship is a process. Sometimes the evangelism message is, is lost because we, it doesn't sit true with us. You know, we go out to do um, stranger evangelism and we knock on doors or we say, hey, can we pray for you right now? Then we never see that person again. Discipleship is a process. And it's true, we might plant a seed there, water a seed here, 
But what Jesus is really after is discipleship, and that's a process. We're to become like Jesus. And if we are becoming like Jesus, we're helping. That means, that means intrinsically that we're helping other people become like Jesus. We're not becoming more like Jesus if we're not helping other people become more like Jesus. Luke 6.40 says, The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Discipleship is a process. We're becoming like Jesus. Romans 8.29, to become like his son. 2 Corinthians 3.18, make us more and more like him. Ephesians 4.13, until we all become mature, process. 1 John 2.6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, you like me might say, that's impossible. And you'd be right. I agree with you. It's impossible. It's impossible to become like Jesus. You and I, broken men and women, to become like Jesus, that's impossible. But God but God would only command the impossible of finite people when the Holy Spirit is at work. With the Holy Spirit, the impossible of becoming like Jesus becomes possible. Why? Because of who He is. Because of His power and presence in our lives that's transforming us and guiding us. Rich uh, Villadas, an author, pastor, he says this, The troubling reality is that believers can be deeply committed to being Christian without ever being deeply formed by Christ. Let that one sink in for a little bit. It's impossible to become like Jesus without the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit... We stop identifying with simply being Christian and we start identifying to becoming like Jesus, to be formed by him over a lifetime. That's a whole other thing. That's discipleship. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It means to be formed by him. And I want to challenge you, as I challenge myself this morning, to be formed by Jesus. We're being formed. Listen, you're being formed, I'm being formed in one way or the other. Whether you like it or not, you're being formed by something, some power, some influence in your life. You're being shaped right now. And we as Americans, we like to think, oh, I'm a salmon, I'm swimming upstream. But all of the other salmon are swimming upstream as well. We're like, I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made woman, nothing's influencing me, I'm going against the tide. Everyone else is going against the tide. Ding, 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 you're a winner. We're all swimming with the tide of something, of someone, of some influence, some power in our life. And the challenge is to be formed by Christ alone, to cease to be formed by a sports team, to cease to be formed uh, by a career, by anything else other than the person of Jesus. For this reason, Jesus calls us to be disciples who make other disciples. 
This is the reason that Jesus commands, and I know we're not comfortable with that language either. We like to call it a commission. The verb go is pretty authoritative in the scripture. You can call it a commission if you want. That's okay. We're Americans. We don't do well with authority. But there's love in the command. There's love in the command, and it's the very reason why Jesus calls us to make, uh, calls us to be disciples who make other disciples. He knows, he knows in Matthew 28, he knows in order to live this thing out, we need other people. There is no Lone Ranger Christianity. You don't live the Christian life in a vacuum. Yes, I live before God alone, before his eyes, right? You would say that. But the working out of the gospel and discipleship can never be lived alone. It has to be worked out in the context of community. We need others to encourage us to help us along the way. And others need us to encourage them and to help them along the way. You know, you're not just doing the things Jesus did. You're thinking the things he thinks. You're dreaming the things that he dreams. You're feeling the things that he feels. And you do that in the context of other people. And that's a blessing to you and I. That's a gift. Community's a gift in that way. Listen, The world does not need another church who follows the 24-7 news cycle or a sports team more than she follows the Lord. The the world doesn't need a country club style of church. The world needs a church who is committed to being formed by Jesus above all else, who's on mission with him. The gospel changes everything. Discipleship is a process. And finally, quickly, third is everyone owns the mission. Everyone owns the mission. At the Vineyard, we like to say that everybody gets to play. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, was uh, commonly quoted in saying, I'm just a fat guy trying to get into heaven. (laughs) Deeply theological, I know. He was also coined in saying, I'm just spare change in God's pocket. Lord, spend me how you want me. Everybody gets to play, no matter what you look like, whether you're fat or skinny, whether you're young or old, black or white. It doesn't matter. Everyone, whether you've been following Jesus for 40 years or whether you've been following Jesus for four months, everyone gets to play. And yesterday was a beautiful demonstration of that happening. Many people from all different walks of life, young, old, little kids serving turkey on trays, refilling drinks, setting up chairs. Everyone gets to play. I, I told uh, my friend before the service today, it was so encouraging to me to see her son and a pack of teenagers whipping through the sanctuary, setting up chairs. They were cracking jokes. It was after everything was said and done. They stayed late to set up the chairs that you're sitting in. And they were cracking jokes and having fun. And and I was like, this is great. This is great. They didn't need to be told too many times (laughs) to stay on track. 
but they were going about it joyously. And it was a perfect demonstration that everybody gets to play. Everyone has a role to play. And I would say that they did probably the most important job of the whole day. My friend Walt and I like to say there should be entire seminary courses devoted to stacking chairs. (laughs) Because if you want to be a pastor, if you want to be in the ministry, you're going to need to learn how to stack chairs. You know what else you're going to learn how to do? Clean toilets. You're going to need to know how to clean bathrooms. You're going to need to know how to take big garbage bags of leftover Thanksgiving if you're going to be a pastor. This is deeply theological work. You're going to need to know how to take big 40-gallon plastic garbage bags and lift them out of the garbage can and put them in a smelly dumpster. You're going to need to learn how to do that. It's some of the most important work of your life if you're looking to be in the ministry. Everyone is on the mission and everyone owns the mission. And that's what it means to be on mission. To have a mission means that it's just, it's not one person's grand idea of what the kingdom of God looks like. Who follows one man's great idea? No, it's all of us owning the mission together. It's a mission by definition. All of us have a role to play. Otherwise, it wouldn't be doing the impossible. The, only, uh, the impossible can only be achieved when a group of people own that mission. And by the way, if you're an individual person, which you are, and the vision that God's put in your heart seems impossible and too big, there's a good bet that that vision comes from God. Because God only gives us finite beings as individuals impossible things to do. Dang it. That thing comes from God. So, what does this all mean? Everyone owns the mission. Everyone gets to play. It means that you don't have to fly to Brazil to be on mission. Although, we'd love for you to join us on December 3rd after the service for the Brazil interest meeting. It's going to be amazing. If you decide to go on that trip, if you take, uh, take that short-term missions trip with us, your life will be changed. Ask those who have been before. Your life will be rocked by uh, the person of Jesus and seeing that the kingdom isn't just working itself out in our little corner of Cleveland. The kingdom is advancing all over the world right now. The kingdom's advancing in places like Brazil. The kingdom's breaking out, and you'll get to see that. And not only see that, but you'll get to play a a role in advancing the kingdom in a place like Brazil. That's crazy. But you don't have to fly to Brazil to be on mission to partner with Jesus. You know, the mission of God is right in your backyard. The mission of God is with your co-workers, The mission of God is in your neighborhood. The mission of God is at your school. The mission of God is at your home. Everybody gets to play. And there's not one person on the face of the planet where God isn't already involved in their journey. All he's asking you to do is come alongside of him in that journey. That's it. That's it. That's all Jim and Dan did in my story. All it took for Jim was to say, hey, you want to come over and record some songs? Little seed. Little seed just dropped. 
dropped into my heart there.